Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is the co-host of the podcast Struggle Session and Jack AM on Twitch. Jack Allison is here. Hey, Jack. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Oh, definitely my pleasure. You guys talk about movies a lot on your podcast. I know that you recently unlocked the uh, second two-movie rule episode. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. Great episode, but uh, are you into horror by and large? I am into horror. I would not say that I'm like as big a horror buff as some of my friends are or anything like that or as much as Leslie is, but I always have had a real love for horror movies and... I don't know. I, I think that horror as a genre like can encapsulate, you know, so many sort of different things that, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a I'm a big horror. Like, honestly, it's like some of the greatest movies ever made are horror movies. Um, and then also some of the like most fun VHS throwaway movies are also horror movies. And so for a genre to be able to contain so much, uh, uh, I, I just I like that kind of thing. Yeah, I definitely agree with you as far as the variety that horror has. I think that that's part of what makes it so appealing to me as well is that on one hand, you can have kind of this remove that lets you like analyze society from a little bit more of a objective perspective and kind of get your message across in a, in a way that's a little bit more palatable to people than, um, than being particularly preachy about it. But you also, like you said, have these fun, goofy movies that are just a, a great time to, to hang out with your friends and watch. Right. So yeah, it contains multitudes. Got both the shining and, you know, uh, uh Friday the 13th part eight, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, you're you're definitely not one to hold back on stuff you don't like, especially uh, particularly corporate properties like Star Wars. And so I'm sure. curious if you feel that the sort of outsider status and frequent constraints of like low budget help mm -hmm. the genre to avoid a lot of the pitfalls of more mainstream media. You know, I do. And I mean, I'm, I mean, I also worry about seeing things like it happen in sort of more mainstream movie things where we're getting these kind of like big budget studio horror movies. And you kind of worry that that might like end up pulling out the bottom from like one of what is frankly one of the only, you know, uh, uh, sort of independent sectors of, of filmmaking that like kind of still exists uh, and has like a popular audience but yeah i do think that like horror you know you'll see a, like so many great filmmakers their first film is a horror movie and you know you can still do kind of like weird stuff outside of the mainstream but what separates horror from so much of like other independent film and stuff like that is that this is like more or less like populist you know what i mean like horror is meant to like evoke a reaction in a lot of the same way that like comedy is you're trying to get an actual uh, a physical reaction out of people that sort of can't be you know manufactured it's slightly it's different even than like the rest of what goes on in indie film it's because you know in the end like this is still a genre that you know is for people to go on dates to and stuff like that you know what i mean like <laughs> it's a it's a, a it's an independent sort of facet of of what's going on in film uh that also isn't too like corny and art filmy <laughs> yeah it's the people's genre right yeah still genre <laughs> is there a subgenre within horror that you have a preference for is there a subgenre within horror that I have a preference for? Um, so you know, I do like the zombie movies. We're gonna we're talking obviously about we're gonna talk about. I don't know if you want to intro it later, but we're talking about a zombie movie today, uh, and I like the the George Romero zombie movies. But I don't know that I would like say that I have any sort of like 
huge preference. You know, I, I maybe like don't love slashers quite as much, but then I'm also like, I do love the classic slashers. Like I still love Halloween and I'll love Scream and everything like that. But maybe I just wouldn't watch every single slasher out there. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have a, a super subgenre that's my top. Sure. Hey, uh, there's nothing wrong with having a, a wide variety. Yeah. So like you said, we picked a zombie movie today. The movie we're talking about is 1985's Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. uh, the third of the iconic original Romero trilogy consisting yep. of Night of the Living Dead in 1968, Dawn of the Dead in 1978, and then this one. And this is actually my personal preference of the three as well, which is yeah. kind of an interesting pick. It's definitely the one that I think gets talked about the least of those three. And I'm curious about your opinion about the other two. Did you pick this one because you don't like those ones? Or no. you just think that this is the best of a good trilogy? I think that this is like the best and kind of like weirdest of the trilogy. You know what I mean? Like, And it's really tough because you have to put these things like in the original context and everything like that. And if I'm like really... Night of the Living Dead, like, invented basically, like, the modern zombie concept. You know what I right. mean? It's like zombies existed in this kind of, like, voodoo and, and everything like that before this. But, like, in the sort of modern Walking Dead context and everything like that, that's where it came from. And so it's, like, it's hard for me to say that necessarily, like, Day of the Dead is, like, objectively better than Night of the Living Dead. Because this is, you know, Night of the Living Dead also is, like... George Romero and his buddies like making like a totally independent low budget movie and to like make it as big and for that to be as like impactful as it was for you know sort of how small the beginnings were it's hard for me to say that Day of the Dead is better but as far as like my personal feelings watching these movies when I first watched them I was most drawn in by the weirdness and the the post-apocalyptic nature of it and and also the special effects are just like the best work maybe that's ever been done with with practical uh, uh, zombie makeup effects yeah it's it's really remarkable and like you said all three of them are are great and yeah. it's not like those are the only good Romero movies either I mean Romero's like a real talent a real real talent yeah, Creepshow is really good. Martin is really good. Not a lot of people watch that movie. Definitely check out Martin if you aren't familiar with it. Kind of a very grounded vampire movie that he did. That sounds awesome. I've never seen it. I'm going to check that out. Oh, definitely. But Night of the Living Dead and, and these zombie movies are definitely what cemented him as one of horror's great directors. And like you said, he's kind of the advent of the modern zombie movie. He gave them their taste for flesh. And They have evolved a little bit more since then. I mean, in 1985, we also got Return of the Living Dead. Right. Which is so good year for zombie movies, but that's what gave But that's its own uh, weird thing. Do you know, like the whole thing with Return of the Living Dead is like, that's like part of the beauty of Night of the Living Dead is that Night of the Living Dead went into the the public domain. And so there's like these two weirdly side sequels to it. Like Return of the Living Dead is legally a sequel to Night of the Living Dead in the same way that both Day and Dawn are as well. Yeah, they got the of the living dead part and uh, Romero took the the parts of the daytime. (laughs) (laughs) And interestingly, this actually has had two loose remakes, one in 2008 and one in 2018. Both received overwhelmingly negative reviews because why would you need to remake the best horror movie ever made? (laughs) Yeah. I just think this one is such a tough one to remake because, you know, even maybe more so than like Dawn of the Dead, this one feels, and I know it's not Romero's last movie, but between this being like Romero and Savini, like there was kind of a feeling of this is the last, the band is back together for one last time. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I think that the fact that it is one of the, like it's him, it's Savini, they're both in their home Mm -hmm. home area. You know, a lot of the filming took place just outside of Pittsburgh, which is where they 
set a lot of their stuff. It was some old actual bunker, right? Like it was an actual just abandoned like underground bunker that they shot in. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of mining that goes on in that area. And so they it was like an old mining area. And uh, and they just were like, all right, we're going to use this. So, yeah, I mean, it's awesome. And that is what it feels like, too. In the same way, like this one's bigger than, you know, Night of the Living Dead. I don't know if it's bigger than Dawn of the Dead. Like, I would actually have to look at, like, the budgets of these movies. But even though this movie is bigger than Night of the Living Dead, it still just has such, like, it's a small movie. Like, this is about a small group of people in a insane situation, and it really is about the characters' interactions with each other. You know, one of the things I think is so interesting about this movie is that you barely even see zombies for, like, the whole, like, middle of the movie. Like, there's basically zombies... At the top of them, as far as zombie violence, I mean, you have you have Bub throughout the movie, uh, and you see like the sort of tame zombies throughout the movies. But zombie violence really only happens like at the top of the movie and at the very end. And like this is like, you know, I think even more than like Night of the Living Dead and even more than Day of the Dead, like this is the one where it's like the peep, it like humans are the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that, so that I think is really interesting and unique, but I think that also just the setup in general is really interesting and unique because Mm -hmm. for so many zombie movies, a lot of the tension comes from the external threat of the virus spreading and trying to maintain humanity's dominion of the planet. But in this movie, when we start, that's already happened. We've lost. We've lost already. Yeah, at the top of this movie. Zombies outnumber humans. Uh, 400,000 to one is the number that Dr. Frankenstein gives. And I mean, honestly, like even those first shots of the movie, this is getting us. If you want to talk about like The Walking Dead or anything like that, like this whole idea that they explored in The Walking Dead of like what would happen if a zombie outbreak continued. We've done it already. Day of the Dead did it in like the first minute of the shots. You know what I mean? Like we open this movie and there's like an alligator walking <laughs> the street. There's zombies everywhere. They're rotting and laying on. I'm like, we've seen it. Day of the Dead is the answer to that question of like what happens next. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So when this movie was made, the population, I looked it up, was about 240 million. So if zombies outnumber people 400,000 to one, that means that there's about 600 living human beings (laughs) left in the USA. Jesus. Well, that like fits. That does kind of fit with what we see in the movie. Exactly. You know, later on, they're like, we just started losing contact with people. And it's like, yeah, "Yeah, that sounds about right. If there's 600 left. This is like, uh, uh, this takes place like after World War Z. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's exactly. It is. I was trying to think of if there's any other like any other zombie movies that deal with zombies being able to learn and adapt. And I was like, there's some in the book of World War Z and like a little bit with that rom-com warm bodies. But oh, sure. This is really like it, there's so much about just the setup of this movie that is so unique to, right. to this. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I actually think that like Romero was trying to sort of, and I don't, and I don't know that I have the exact thing that I think he was trying to look at, but I think that he was like very much trying to like explore a different idea in each one of these movies. You know what I mean? Like Romero yeah. is like actually a filmmaker, and I, I don't think he would have just wanted to make another just zombie movie. You know what I mean? Like I feel like the first one, you know, uh, uh, I, I ends up kind of being about people versus people in a sort of similar way. The second one kind of kind of becomes about what are our like cultural shibboleths that we'll all sort of you know go toward and what does that say about us as a people and then the third one really is you know about like what happens when you're up against the wall what does it actually look like when you're up against the wall and so it's in that way that I'm like I really think that he is exploring different ideas in each movie in a way that again I will be like the fucking Walking Dead show does not (laughs) yeah 
And the movie also, it follows a group of scientists and soldiers in a bunker trying to discover a cure. And so this is another thing that I really like, and it's unique. Normally, we're following just like your everyday jabronis, and we're supposed to be in the right. shoes uh, as they deal with the shock and fear of this uprising. But the scary part of this movie is not supposed to be the zombies. It's the breakdown of society and even this right. microcosm. And so we're able to follow competent people making relatively logical right. decisions and still failing. Yeah, and also, you know, this kind of, you know, again, it's like an even scarier proposition. You know what I mean? This idea of normal people couldn't handle something like this, like that as much goes without saying. But like, what about like when the experts come in? Then then we're just still talking about the army and scientists. And so what we're really talking about is violent sociopath thugs <laughs> and like scientists who basically can't take care of their own day-to-day -day life, you know? Yeah, and that's <laughs> definitely how they're portrayed in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> The cast is really great in this movie yeah. as well. We have Laurie Cardile as Sarah, Joe Pilato as Captain Rhodes, Terry Alexander as John, and there's a bunch of other solid performances from a relatively large-sized cast for a movie with a budget of only $3.5 million, wow. uh, especially when you consider the amount of special effects and makeup that go into a movie like this. Right. Those effects were, as you said, uh, supervised by Tom Savini, whose history is like super intertwined with Romero's. I mean, mm -hmm. he worked with him on Martin, then went to go work on Creepshow, Monkey Shines, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, and then actually directed the color remake of Night of the Living Dead in 1990. And, you know, Savini, like, really, in this film, I, I feel like was given full reign to go, like, as fucked up as he could possibly go. You know what I mean? Like, there are... Definitely. The opening shot of this movie is a zombie whose, like, tongue is, like, <laughs> who doesn't have a jaw. <laughs> and they're like tongue is just like sticking out. It's wild what Tom Savini is able to do in this movie. And then, you know, uh, one the one that like always sticks with me is this captain gets actually like torn apart by zombies. Oh, my God. It's this insane just long one shot as he gets like torn in half. You see him like get pushed to the ground. He starts getting torn in half. And then like his like guts spill out and you hear his vocal cords pitch up as they're getting like stretched <laughs> out by the zombies. I swear to God, we've seen special effects in like every movie. We've seen Avatar. We've seen like the greatest that special effects can show us. This is real. When you watch this, yeah, like what, what Tom Savini pulls off here with like latex and I think, you know, real animal innards and stuff like that is real life. They got him from a nearby slaughterhouse. Yeah, like they're using real animal entrails and everything like that from a slaughterhouse. When you watch the movie, that is a real event that happens to that man. <laughs> and, you know, it's like when you see movies now and even when it's so photorealistic with special effects and everything like that, you know, in your heart, there is that uncanny valley. And, you know, mm -hmm. you can't like ultimately what I'm watching here is Tintin. It's like a cartoon or something yeah. like that. In this, it's that fucking cannibal Holocaust thing. Like you buy it. In this movie. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely think that that has a lot to do with Romero's ability. Or not Romero. I mean, yes, Romero, but also with Savini's abilities. Mm -hmm. This is actually the first time that we've gotten to talk about Tom Savini in this, uh, in this show. And boy, he is really just one of my favorites. I mean, I love Friday the 13th as a series. And oh, yeah. I think that not only did he create the look of Jason Voorhees in the original, he also created the part four look, which is one of the more iconic ones. He also worked on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is a movie that I love. And so has cool. One of the most 
like unsettling scenes literally it, it, like if someone asked me what is the most unsettling scene to me I would probably say the moment in Texas Chainsaw 2 where Leatherface puts the main character's friend's face on her and like <laughs> oh god yeah Savini just makes these real these effects that like you said are real it's so it just unnerves you at your core. And he got these guts and stuff from a nearby slaughterhouse. And during filming, the refrigerator that was housing them became unplugged. And so everything started spoiling. And so it's everything smells nasty. And he really was just told to just do whatever he wanted because the budget for the original script was actually $7 million, But they said that he could only have it if, they, if he could film an R-rated movie. And so for an unrated movie with no limits on gore, they, mm. they would split it in half and give him three and a half and so if you look at it this movie is actually not rated and uh good for him three and a half and he said to hell with you and filmed his vision which is a power move if ever i've seen it i love that shit yeah and i think that that really does kind of speak to the diy stick it to the man kind of attitude that has a lot of horror and a lot of romero's work really encapsulates yeah, and look, I think that Romero is like a real deal filmmaker. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I feel like I I even hear that story and I'm like, oh, they cut it in half. And I'm like, well, Romero like knew that he was going to be able to get some like really, really huge, big gore moments. And then, you know, uh, uh, relegate the rest of it to be these kind of quiet character moments throughout the rest of the film. That's real deal filmmaking when, when a director like sees the limitations and works within those limitations to create something that's like bigger and better and great. Absolutely. And he found a bunch of ways to keep the budget down, (laughs) including all the extras who portrayed zombies were volunteers that got a hat that said, I played a zombie in Day of the Dead, (laughs) a copy of the newspaper from the beginning of the film that said The Dead Walk, and $1. That's pretty cool, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I I was like, look, if I'm an extra, (laughs) those things are more interesting and exciting to me than, uh, than actually getting like 50 bucks. Yeah, printing up the newspaper. The newspaper is the one where I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, actually, I would take that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I actually have done some looking around to see if I could find like one of the originals, and I've only I've been, been able impossible. to find uh, recreations. So, wow, yeah, so people aren't selling them. Nope. So uh, <laughs> if you, people uh, people know George Romero knew what would be a, a keeper. <laughs> This movie, you know, not only has like great performances from everybody, and I keep mentioning like these small sort of character moments because, like I said, this movie like really is about like people sort of living in a bunker. Like this movie could just as easily be about like after nuclear attacks or something like that. You know what I mean? For the entire sort of middle chunk of the movie, and that is maybe partially why it strikes as so real. You know what I mean? It's like definitely this idea of like people sort of being forced to live near starvation in an underground bunker in the event of an apocalypse strikes me as like a lot more real than like people pulling tricks on zombies at like a mall. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) if bombs really did start flying, it would look a lot more like Day of the Dead than Dawn of the Dead. Definitely. That realism, it starts right away. For people who aren't familiar with the story, we've kind of alluded to it. It's this is long after the zombie apocalypse has happened. Uh, They're looking for a cure. And we, we open up on this great dream sequence you don't know it's a dream sequence right away but it's super unsettling our main character sarah is in a cement room completely blank except a calendar with all the days in october marked off and she goes to look at this picture of the rolling fields and the wall becomes a wall of arms that reach out and grab her and it's a great scare and it's so early and it really keeps you on the edge of your seat for the rest of the the movie because you're like literally anything could happen i had no (laughs) idea that was a dream sequence (laughs) like (laughs) 
Yeah, no, that's a great, great open. That's a really great open. So when, when she does wake up, we see that they're on a search for survivors done by Sarah the Doctor, Miguel the Soldier, the radio operator Bill, and helicopter pilot John. Instead, they find only a huge horde of zombies. But this scene is so funny to me because, first of all, like you said, there is an alligator, which I think is very <laughs> funny. But also, like, the guy is literally using a megaphone and screaming. And so when he attracts zombies, you're like, oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like this interesting thing. It's, you know, already right at the top in this movie. It's, like, different than every other zombie movie we've seen. We have the, the hands coming out of the, the wall. Uh, and then they're, like, actually trying to attract zombies. You're like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? There's also some really great score happening during this scene. A lot of plinking and synths and stuff. So good. The soundtrack is so good overall. Oh, yeah. And they fly back. And this is a great example of show don't tell where we get a lot of clues as to how far things have fallen already. You know, the military guys are unkempt. They're sleeping on the job, mm -hmm. growing weed. Things are in disrepair. Uh, and there's been a fresh death. And Miguel says to Sarah, everything is collapsing and you're stronger than us. So what? Mm -hmm. This bitterness and jealousy is really interesting to me because it feels very realistic, but also very cynical in terms of Romero's kind of view of how people act. I'm curious if you think that this is a, like a, a realistic way that like people would actually devolve into this or if you think that he's just playing it up a little bit for the movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is like, uh, yeah, this movie, you sort of come straight into it being like, this is weird. This is weirder than any other zombie movie I've seen. <laughs> John, the pilot, suggests that they fly the helicopter out to a deserted island and just chill. And Sarah is shocked clearly viewing this as like giving up and that giving right. up is out of the question to her they corral some zombies from a wall that they built in the bunker to bring to the head scientist who's nicknamed frankenstein and miguel messes up and almost gets another soldier killed and this is a big deal especially because they're down to 12 people already and so sarah has to stop them from killing miguel in retaliation is, is this where is this the part where the zombie like steps up and gets its like head chopped off on the helicopter yeah that part is so good. It's like such this long shot of just a zombie coming up like behind them. Then it like climbs up and just gets its head fucking <laughs> lopped off. Yeah, it's great. There's a lot of see, that's the thing about these uh, Savini effects is that they're all really great. And a lot of them are not even necessarily like the front and center thing. No, this is like a big wide shot. And that's actually like why it's so effective. You're like, did they like accidentally like kill an extra? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh this is the 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 John Landis of uh, zombie movies. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and so Sarah like I said stops them from killing Miguel, but Miguel yells at her and slaps her and then starts crying. You're like, "Oh, this guy's having a fucking breakdown. This guy's out of his mind." Yeah. Which by the way, I do like this kind of breakdown of like in a more traditional sort of like hero story, you might expect Sarah to be sort of like the the damsel in distress and her here's her strong, you know, soldier, you know, military boyfriend or whatever. No, he's like absolutely losing it. He's like lost it beyond lost it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he so he's he's completely lost it and to your point, not only is she not the damsel in distress, She's got a real willingness to do what needs to be done. Like, she right. drugs him no problem. Yeah, no, she is, uh, uh, you know, you talk about sort of, like, strong female leads or whatever. We absolutely have one here in, uh, uh, in Day of the Dead. Absolutely, and I think that to that point, I've talked a couple times with people who have come on to talk about movies like Annihilation and Jennifer's Body and talked about what it means to have a strong female lead. And I think that what makes the character Sarah really interesting in this is that she is definitely really strong. 
but you, she's not completely like divorced from empathy either. No, no, no. She's she's like very like affected and like has an emotional connection to all these things that are happening, but like has a strength in that as well. And I think that's a really good point, actually. Like it reminds me of like a, of Alien kind of too. You know what I mean? Like it's not. Yeah. To, to show strength doesn't mean never showing weakness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that rather the opposite. It makes it more impressive when she is able to get these things done. I mean, we see her trying to get Miguel taken off duty right. from the captain because she's like, he like he can't handle the strain anymore and he won't come to you and say it, but like it's dangerous for him. It's dangerous for the people around him. You know, we see this pleading as as something like yeah she's still willing she's she she hasn't let the apocalypse ruin her right you know? right right yeah no this is like these are like i i think that sarah is like a sort of rich character actually a character that works really well mm-hmm. so the captain that she begs with to get miguel taken off is joe Pilato, newly in command and who i freaking love in this movie he oh, the captain! So the great. captain is like one of your like all-time great fucking asshole villain characters. Oh yeah, just like the like the king of kick up your feet, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, lady kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> What's also really interesting to me is that a couple times Dr. Frankenstein kind of insinuates that Captain Rhodes, who Joe Pilato plays, has um, not really accepted the situation that they're in. Right. And I think that one really interesting way that Romero communicates this is he's the only one still shaving and wearing his complete uniform. Oh, interesting. Yeah. No, everyone else is like very disheveled and he's kind of just like still, you know, high on his power here in this weird bunker. Yeah, he's he's clinging to something that provides structure for him, like a security blanket. And for him, it's the structure of the military command. Wow. Just a little uh, little nice way of handling that that Romero did. <laughs> and we get to meet Dr. Frankenstein in the next scene. And he's also a really interesting character because he believes that zombies can learn being made docile by training and conditioning and... Like I said, not many zombie movies are that interested in adapting and domesticating them, which I, I mean, domesticating might not be the right word, but there's just like not anything really deals with the the aftermath, you know? Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. You know, uh, George Romero kind of goes back in and deals with the aftermath <laughs> right. again later in Land of the Dead and stuff like that. But, you right. know, nobody else really had anything interesting to say about that. Like they all kind of just saw what Romero did in Night of the Living Dead and everyone was like, wow, that's really wild. Like, can you imagine an outbreak like that? And nobody really wanted to go further, I guess, except until, you know, The Walking Dead, which is now um, a television show that I swear to God, Walking Dead to me is like very close to just showing like, you know, the Coliseum (laughs) or something like that. Like, I am a horror fan and I feel like that show is just to like let people watch death every week and I don't really like it. (laughs) No. I'm I'm with you to be honest. I think that the effects in it are still great. I mean, yeah. Greg Nicotero does great work, but the actual content of the show What's this is show trying to say does not it's just so me. dour. It's so it's like yeah. I don't know. Like even in this movie, we'll talk about the ending of this movie. This movie still has hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I definitely agree with you in terms of The Walking Dead and the fact that this show has continued to go for however many seasons it's at now. I think really demonstrates that there is a hunger for it for for this sort of what happens next, you know? And so I think that 
people out there who are writers, you know, maybe uh, maybe this is something to think about. Um, <laughs> yeah, or maybe come up with a whole different idea altogether. Yeah, you know? sure. <laughs> true, 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 true. Um, yeah, let's let's get some actual originality instead. But. <laughs> maybe we've said it all. To, maybe we've said all there is to say about zombies, you know. <laughs> That's true. Um, and tension continues to grow. We start from a place of already being very tense, and it, it just continues to escalate as uh, supplies dwindle and communications with other survivors has stopped. And there's this sort of slow progress in research and, uh, you know, a lot of great effects in this scene where they go to talk about what they're doing in the lab. Um, I do also think it's really funny, though, that one of the guys who, like, turns over and it's the zombie and all his guts, like, spill out, there's just a random rubber chicken in the pile <laughs> of entrails. Well, they're still having fun. You know, we're still making oh, movies. Yeah. It's still, still fun to be on set. I've, I actually, um, so, like I said, this is one of my personal favorite horror movies as well, not, not even just zombie movies. So I've seen it a, a handful of times, and I've checked out the commentary, and boy, Listening to Savini and Romero just bullshit on the commentary <laughs> is just fantastic. Wow, I actually should do that. That uh, I've watched a lot of like the behind the scenes stuff on this movie, but I actually have mm. never done the commentary on it. Definitely recommend it. Then I have the Blu-ray. It's like one of the few. It's this is one of the few movies that I actually have like physical the actual like physical copy of. Yeah, no, this, that's it. Is that like I look I. I'll be honest. I got burned by the great DVD uh, <laughs> exodus. Yeah, my dad too. Yeah. <laughs> so when Blu-rays came out, I was like, never again. This is objectively <laughs> better than a DVD. And so I'm just not falling for it again because I know that down the road there will be something bigger. It's all digital at this point. Like my, my, you know, <laughs> you know, my real feeling about it is it's all piracy. If you want to do real, uh, uh, if you want to yeah. actually be doing like like uh, archival and stuff like that it's piracy you know buy your physical yep. copies like so people get the money and everything like that but if we're really trying to do like film you know archival uh it's it's piracy at this point i think that not only is the archival aspect of it super important for movies yeah. that you know aren't these huge names i mean don't get me wrong romero i think that it's not going to be that hard to find of course uh, some of his stuff but movies that are weird and little like extra and stuff well and zat you know, I would also say, though, is that like they're doing a lot of like touch ups on these movies and we're doing a lot of like digital sort of up up scaling and everything yeah. like that. And even for the big movies, like even for your Romero movies, like if we're talking about actual like film archival, if we're talking about state like of it. Yeah. archiving things at the quality and at, like at the color timing and everything like that, it actually like was, you know, when everything's held in the cloud and they tweak everything all the time, I'm like, you know, piracy is kind of as far as archival is yeah. concerned, you know, is kind of like if we're looking for, you know, the version as it was, you know, maybe you have to go on a certain torrent website <laughs> no, hey listen i'm i'm never gonna uh, i i get it especially because uh how expensive things can get at this point, you know? Yeah. Look, I advocate for people to buy everything they like, try to get people paid, get everybody money, but maybe after you yeah. buy it, get yourself a torrent exactly. copy. And, and <laughs> the reason that I actually did wind up buying, I'm probably at like 30 Blu-rays now at this point, is just because I wind up getting stuff that, A, is either weird and small and little that I'm like, oh, I'm not sure that this is going to be easy to find moving forward. Um, right. Or... Getting stuff like the commentaries, like if, uh, I don't buy Blu-rays yep. that don't have any commentaries or anything, because at that point there's there's no point to it for me. You know, I'd rather something that yeah, I can't what is get the point? from just watching the movie. That's to me the benefit of having the physical copy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But we digress. <laughs> <laughs> 
So there's a, like I said, there, the tensions have continued to escalate and there's a meeting between the scientists and the soldiers and Rhodes declares that anyone who doesn't obey him will be executed. Yeah, it's martial law time. And he threatens to abandon the scientists and leave the compound, but Frankenstein points out that it's a hollow threat because there's nowhere to go because the zombies have overrun the world. Right. And truly, one of my favorite line deliveries ever when he says, I'm running this monkey farm, Frankenstein, and I want to know what the ah. fuck you're doing with my time. <laughs> so good. Wow. So it's, good. It's great. Joe Pilato, it's funny. I, God, he's so He good. actually is in Dawn of the Dead as well <laughs> as a cop. Oh, yeah. really? I didn't know <laughs> um, that. And so there's kind of this interesting, like, is it the same character who uh, he was a cop oh, and interesting. joined the army? Where is he in Dawn of the Dead? Is he a cop or something? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so, you know, it, it's possible that after the apocalypse, he joined the army to try and fight and then rose to captain. So it's it's interesting to see uh, this this actor show up in both. But regardless of if he's the same character or not, he does a really awesome job uh, in this movie. And is, he's is so good. Spectacular. Yeah. Sarah is shaken by Rhodes' threat to shoot her, and she awakens from another uh, great quick dream sequence to let us know that no matter how well she hides it, which she does hide it very well, it is getting to her, the situation. She heads to Bill and John's trailer to kind of talk about what's going on. This is another really interesting scene. I really like the character of John, who's the pilot, and he tells her that he's convinced it's a punishment from God, and part of why he's been so chill this whole time is because, A, he knows that they won't shoot him because he's the only one who can fly, but B, the fact that this is a divine plague means that the scientific mission is doomed to failure and that the effort to preserve uh, the civilization's records is pointless. So why stress about it? Like this pure nihilism that he's kind of. Well, I mean, like we, we go into like weed area. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like suddenly we're in like sort of like this. Is, this is a punishment from God. What the fuck are we supposed to do? <laughs> just like hang out, like just do whatever. It's it, again, it's, an, it's a very interesting thing because it's like we're sort of, you know, again, this is about the people and so we're really like comparing against like all these different viewpoints like this is Romero kind of being like well what the hell would you do yeah in this situation some people would just like turn over completely to like authoritarianism and insanity some people would just like give themselves over to just being completely distraught and some people would just be like there's nothing the fuck I can do about it so let's relax yeah, and he repeats a suggestion that they fuck off, leave the soldiers, and they go to yeah. a, like a desert island. But even in the face of being threatened to get executed, uh, the legitimate ability to leave and go to a desert island, Sarah replies that they have a duty to continue working on the mission project, even in spite of the problems with the soldiers. And so this kind of core theme of the movie is what is your obligation to mankind versus your obligation to yourself? And not only is it explored wonderfully in this, it's still an incredibly topical theme, especially with the fight for Medicare for All right now. Like, it really, uh, it just feels very prescient turning on uh, the news or or going on Twitter and having everyone be like, well, uh, I got mine, so fuck <laughs> off. Yeah, I mean, look, like, I think that this movie, like all of... Uh, uh, all of Romero's movies is like about America. You know what I mean? I think that like he kind of makes movies about where he lives and he ended up, I think, actually becoming an expat and living in uh, Mexico for a lot of his life. But I think that, yeah, all of his movies are about America in their own way. And I do think that you could look at this movie as like being about capitalism. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the zombie thing being like, you know, it's either like you give over to it, you try to fight it or you just or like you just give into nihilism and smoke weed. You know. Yeah. <laughs> 
that definitely is something that he liked to explore. I mean, uh, Dawn of the Dead definitely has a materialism and capitalistic bent to its lens. Absolutely. Sure. I mean, this is like making the argument that malls are our churches, you mm-hmm. know, that these people, that people would just like default to ending up at the mall because where the hell else do they know in their lives? Right. And the other theme is kind of what it means to be human is, is the other yeah. major theme in this. And uh, at one point, Frankenstein questions if a zombie is alive and settles for existing, which is really, <laughs> boy, kind of a bummer. <laughs> we haven't even really touched on Bub. In yeah. This movie. Well, so th- that's uh, that's the next bit is uh, he he Doctor Logan, who's who's the nickname Frankenstein, uh, hopes to secure Rhodes's future goodwill by showing him these results, which is Bub, uh, a friendly and docile zombie who remembers parts of his life and engages in basic human behavior like listening to music, aiming a pistol. Uh, saluting Captain Rhodes and this is actually the only movie in all of his zombie movies where a zombie has a line of dialogue when Bub repeats uh, say hello to your Aunt Alicia (laughs) (laughs) and yeah so this is the first time that we get to really see not only uh, like an extended shot of a zombie in this movie but also this is the first time that we've seen a zombie as anything other than a mindless killing machine, which I think is kind of the point. You know, that's uh, mm-hmm. the same the same way that Sarah and the other scientists are also like, oh, he's crazy. This will never work. They are shocked when they see him understand how to use the cassette player. And it's really interesting because it sort of shifts your framing of what zombies are for like indelibly like you you, once you see that they have this capability you're like oh wow what does that mean about all the rest of them that we've seen people (laughs) brutally murdering and uh and murdering people as well yeah and you know i also think it's like no coincidence that really the villains in this movie are all humans you know what i mean and like we are sort of taught to you know show some compassion for a zombie in this movie this is the first like movie we've seen where there was like real zombie acting you know what i mean and also i'd like to say this is another like savini thing just the makeup done on bub and you know that they're able to convey such emotion while also being a sort of like classic romero style like green zombie is like a testament really to to how good to how good he is oh yeah and to your point Rhodes is not impressed, and Frankenstein tells him, civility must be rewarded. If it's not rewarded, <laughs> there's no use for it. <laughs> like, yeah. He's rocking back and forth, and you realize that, oh, he's gone off his rocker in his own way. <laughs> like, yeah, everyone is, like, losing their mind down there. Yeah, um, and so, like, like you said, this is the first time that we're shown that there's more to them, and so you're like, oh, we're also being taught to be civil towards them. <laughs> like, yeah. So just a lot of really interesting stuff in that scene. Like you said, great uh, makeup work for sure. Yeah, a really, really cool scene. And like, and I also think a very good acting job mm-hmm. uh, by by Bub. Frankly. Yeah, that's, a, that's Sherman Howard. He does a really spectacular job. Definitely shouts out to him. Yeah, for sure. And they go on another zombie roundup mission. And two of the soldiers are killed after Miguel lets a zombie escape its harness. Miguel attempts to kill the zombie, but a different one bites him on the arm. And right. this gore is so gross. So brutal. <laughs> like, they're just tearing the flesh apart. And uh, <laughs> at one point, Sarah has to amputate the arm. And, like, it only, it only goes, like, halfway through the first time. <laughs> 
man. It's really brutal, but it's great. It's really, I mean, Savini really is at the top of his game in, in this movie. He really is. He's at the top of the game, and, like, also you can tell he's having so much fun, too. Yeah. Like, it just is, like, so over the top and so gruesome. <laughs> Yeah, he, this is definitely uh, right up his alley. And, and so Sarah cauterizes this wound to stop the spreading infection from killing Miguel and reanimating him. But Rhodes calls off all the experiments, demands that all captive zombies be destroyed, and says that we're not going to help any of the scientists anymore. He also finds out that Frankenstein has been feeding the flesh of the dead soldiers to Bub as the reward for his docileness and continued right. positive behavior. And so, so Frankenstein is kind of fucked up too. Yeah. When we find out, we're like, oh God. But then you're also like, well, they're dead already. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is like, well, you know, this is, I guess, the sort of like question about like what, you know, what is. And then, and then then we're killing nothing but we're killing, you know, zombies all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. what is the big difference here? Exactly. And Rhodes flips out, seizes the rest of them, seizes uh, their weapons, kills another scientist in an attempt to intimidate uh, John to fly away. And he locks Sarah and Bill inside the zombie corral as, like, the execution style of, oh, I'm not touching you. <laughs> it's the pen. <laughs> <laughs> they smartly start running, though. And Rhodes orders Steel to uh, beat John into submission. Also, I forgot to mention that Rhodes kills Frankenstein in retaliation. Yes. But Miguel, meanwhile, who was off sleeping off everything, he's become suicidal. He opens the gate in the surrounding fence, open, uh, allowing the horde of zombies lurking outside to just, like, enter the compound and just absolutely tear him apart. <laughs> this is some wild stuff. Oh, yeah. It, it's really gruesome. Yeah. And three of Rhodes' men were in pursuit of him, but the, he they weren't able to stop the zombies from getting in because Miguel uh, ripped out the control wires. Sort of a couple of things are happening at once here. John overcomes his captors and steals their weapons and goes into the zombie corral to rescue Sarah and Bill, which is another really fun scene. Uh, there's some really cool effects here, like half a head that has uh, eyes still moving around. Yeah, the zombie corral is really cool. Yeah, uh, there's also some cool lighting there, very creep show esque, which I, I Romero directed. Um, some very deep reds and blues, so very cool looking. And as the zombies enter the bunker, Rhodes abandons his men after all of this. <laughs> he's caring about their dead bodies <laughs> yeah. and all this shit. Yeah. He just immediately is like, oh, shit, I'm out of here. Runs off on a cart and he just leaves his subordinates to them. And yeah, th- there's another guy here who, like you said, his uh, screaming head is torn up. Uh, it's very satisfying to watch these guys die, but it's also yeah. pretty uh, gruesome. Uh, one guy. These are the most gruesome like special effects we've seen, yeah. you know, and one guy kills himself rather than be torn apart, which is, you know, a classic <laughs> dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. And back in the lab, Bub escapes from his chain and finds the corpse of Frankenstein. And we see him go through some pretty intense grief. You know, it definitely looks pretty human. And it's mm-hmm. it's really crazy to be like, oh, wow, he was right. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, no, the movie kind of does take the side of like, oh, Frankenstein was right. Yeah. This uh, uh, the zombie like can feel something which, like you mentioned earlier, does make us feel like, well, holy shit, what have we been doing this whole time? Then? <laughs> yeah. And not only can he feel grief, he can also feel the desire for revenge. <laughs> So, yes, Bub, uh, he grabs a pistol and he starts hunting roads. And this is our first time seeing a a zombie with a pistol, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, good Lord. Once you give a killing machine another killing machine. 
<laughs> um, the only thing that could stop a bad zombie with a gun is a good zombie with a gun. <laughs> That's what I hear. That's what I hear. <laughs> and Bub finds Rhodes and shoots him, wounding but not killing him. And Rhodes runs into a horde of more zombies who also tear him apart. And so much about this death is, I mean, this might be my favorite horror death because not only does Joe Pilato get torn apart in one of the most gross ways I've ever seen, but he also uh, is indignant till the end. And as they grab his limbs, he screams, choke on him. <laughs> so good. That's great. But then also, uh, Bub gives him a sarcastic salute, which is more human than him being sad about the doctor. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, it's really fantastic. John does manage to find Sarah and Bill inside the zombie corral, and they get to the surface, and there's a quick cut, and Sarah awakes with a start to reveal that they did, in fact, fly the helicopter to a desert island, as John had suggested. And I love that so much. Oh, yeah. I really do. <laughs> I love the end of this movie being like they just got the fuck out of there yeah Yeah. and i I think that it's great it's uh, she marks off another day on the calendar that she has with her uh november 4th so it's you know we saw her mark off the 31st this has only been four days that we've seen all this happening and i i think that the fact that it's not the rest of the calendar is not filled out but she's still worrying about it it's like you know what one day at a time like this yeah. is all she can do. You know, I I do like that the end of it. Like he's just been trying to convince <laughs> to convince them to like go to this island the whole time, and I do love that. That's like just what they yeah, do. It was apparently <laughs> the correct answer. <laughs> it's apparently the right answer. Yeah, I love this movie. I think that you know, if, if anyone out there uh, who's listening hasn't watched it, this is like like you were saying, it's a contender for one of my favorite horror movies uh, of all time, uh, and I definitely think is maybe one of the more underlooked of the uh, of the Night of the Living Dead trilogy. It's actually Romero's favorite as well. So uh, Is that true? Yeah, he said that it's his favorite because it's a tragedy about how even in the smallest slice of society, lack of human communication is what causes chaos and collapse. And and his to him that was what made it the most important and his favorite. And you know, people love those first two and don't get me wrong, they are fantastic. They're really great. The fact that this time the focus is a little less political and a little more philosophical, him talking about what it means to be human amid all this kind of misanthropy is it's it's funny it's horrifying it's hopeful like you said these are all things that i think are really interesting and that are found in this movie and not many else yeah yeah i think that i think the day of the dead is is like a real contender it's like you know it's one of the better horror movies out there and that's why it's my favorite horror movie yeah so we we're, we're at that point now so let's uh Let's let's sum it up for the good folks out there. Jack, why is this the best horror movie ever made? And uh, I'll let you start us off. Why is this the best horror movie ever made? Well, I mean, I think for all the reasons that we just said. I mean, I think it's like two of the titans of the of the genre at their prime. We have George Romero and uh, Tom Savini doing a, a work that, you know, uh, I think transcends even beyond what the sort of zombie subgenre does uh, typically. You know, I think it's an incredible film and uh, I, I would strongly recommend people watch it if they haven't if they haven't seen it yet definitely to me this is the best horror movie of all time because it is is the best effects i've ever seen it has a a biting social commentary it is some really incredible performances that manage to feel very current still like it doesn't feel like it's dated acting. yeah it does not feel dated at all 
you have all of these things happening as the culmination of an already incredible trilogy. To me, that's what makes this the best horror movie ever made. Jack, this was wonderful having you on. I want to thank you Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And uh, why don't you tell the people uh, if you have anything coming up, anything you yeah. want to plug or promote? Uh, well, you know, check out the Struggle Session podcast. That's at patreon.com slash struggle session. Um, uh, there's free episodes there too, even though it's a Patreon link. Um, and then, yeah, I do a, a morning talk show every day on Twitch. That's Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, and that's at twitch.tv slash jackam. There's nothing super specific coming up, but uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, as far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. Uh, we have merch on TeePublic. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. But basically, if you find us on Twitter, you'll be able to find all the other areas as well. Um, if you're enjoying the show, uh, subscribe. And if you could give us a rating and a review, that would be lovely as well. But I understand that that's a lot of annoying clicking to do. It's so a button pressing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so I get it. Um, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks again, everyone, for listening. And thanks again, Jack, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Bye.